Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. Welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Madiba. If you happen to be in our area, you are most welcome to visit us. You'll surely feel at home. We appreciate your prayers for our ministry. We hope today's sermon will be edifying to you, your family, and your friends. Welcome. I've seen the supernatural. I've seen God defying medical records. I'm not checking out there. I'm checking in this church. In this church, I see, I've seen God taking people that the world deems to be illiterate and God brushing them and washing them and elevating them without education. Tell me who's that? It's God. So must we keep quiet? Must we keep quiet? We're not going to keep quiet. We're going to talk about it. We're going to brag about it. You see, this year God will bypass the protocol. I said this year God will bypass the protocol. God bless you. Are you hearing me? God, God will overlook man-made systems, man-made regulations, man-made procedures, and will say, that's my son, that's my daughter. It's time for elevation. 
thank be to God of what he's about to do. Thank you for God for what he's about to display. Thank you for the healing that we are about to see. Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We appreciate the Lord for His grace and mercy. And we just want to thank Him for uh, His providence in our lives. We want to thank Him for uh, His protection, uh, especially in the end time. I was looking at somewhere where uh, scientists were speaking about what they predicted to be uh, the grade one, referring to the anticipated earthquake that they expect to hit Los Angeles. And they say uh, it, will be, it will be massive. And I was just thinking about how uh, today's breaking news uh, is yesterday's prophecy uh, to to us. Uh, you know, when CNN says something like it's breaking news, you go and check. You find that this was spoken maybe by the prophet in the in the in the fifties, forties, and sixties. Then you you say uh, we we appreciate the Lord. You know. God would have never struck Sodom and Gomorrah before he could sit down with Abraham and whisper to mysteries to Abraham. And we, as the Abrahamic seed, God will not strike this earth until he sits down with us and whisper mysteries to us. And that's exactly what he's doing in our time. So it is such a blessing. Uh, I know in the book of Genesis, the Bible says when Abraham stood where he uh, stood where he stood with Elohim, then he saw Sodom and Gomorrah burning. So my uh, admonition is that make sure that you stand where you stood with Elohim. And where uh, you need to stand is where the prophet messenger stood with Elohim. From there, a lot of things will come your way. So we are such a, a blessed group of people in the end time, especially in this message. This message is precious to us uh, more than gold. This message is life itself. This message means more to us than anything else in the end time because 
it is God's provided way of escape. So we thank God for the prophet. We thank God for the message. We thank God for what he has done for us on the cross. And we want to thank him for what he has done for us as well on Mount Sunset, where mysteries were revealed to the bride. But tonight, I want to speak about overcoming a Corinthian church spirit in the end time message. I want to speak about overcoming a Corinthian spirit in the end time message. And we, we're going to look at what we mean by that. It's going to be quite an intense Bible study. Um, one person that processes life in patterns, even scripturally, I often want to look at the pattern uh, because what God has done yesterday, God will do again. And what God uh, uh, has done for somebody, he will do, he do it for you. That's how God moves at all the times. Now, let me, without waste of time, uh, go to the scripture first. But before we go to the scripture, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we appreciate you for your grace and mercy. And tonight we want to approach you, uh, depending on your inspiration, we are going to be speaking about the subject that has already been announced and we just want to be led by your spirit, dear God. You have never failed us even one time. That is why, dear God, we've got confidence even this evening to say, may you be part of this Bible study as we break down the scriptures and look into the quotations in order to be of help to your children in this end time. Uh, we don't have much to say unless you put words into our mouth. Because if we've got something to say that is of our own, it's bound to bring destruction. But our desire is not to bring destruction in any way. It is for the edification of the bride. And dear God, hide me be under the blood and even the listener, listeners circumcise their ears and circumcise my lips, dear God, so that whatever is going to be spoken, may it be so edifying. We want to commit everything to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you richly. Let's get into the scripture because we just have quite a loaded message tonight and I just want to keep it within time by God's grace. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 26 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, verse 26. It is there on your screen if you you'll find it. It reads in this manner. It was Paul saying, How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, let all things be done unto edifying. I think Paul 
was not so much disputing the gathering because he encouraged the gathering. That's why in one scripture says, forsaking not the assembling of the saints. Uh, but he says, when they come together, one hath a psalm, one hath a doctrine, one hath a tongue, one hath a revelation, and another one an interpretation, which is not a problem. But Paul was saying, when it is done, let all the th things be done unto, unto, uh, uh, unto edifying. I said I want to speak about overcoming a Corinthian spirit in the end time message. Now, Brother Brennan, many a times he says God takes a man, but he never takes his spirit. And the same thing, Brother Brennan says, even with regard to the devil, a man lives, but the spirit remains. So you will see that uh, that's why the Bible even says, under the sun, there is nothing new. A lot of times you will see that things that we see today have been there before. Even to a certain extent, the civilization that we see today has been here before. You look at what we have today, and you look what they had during the time of Noah. I, I, I'm not sure, uh, but I'm, I'm tempted to think that we, we may be behind even based on the advancements that were seen during the time of Noah because we have not been able to build the we have not been able to build the pyramids as they did it then it is still one of the seven wonders of the world because it's something that we were never able to replicate so i'm just simply saying what you see you have seen it before and when you go into the message brahm says everything that you can see in the end time every spirit can be traced back to the seed chapter which is genesis so uh, a lot of times things become very clearer when you look at in the past. Sometimes it brings clarity to see what may likely happen in the end time. So somebody may say we are not during the time of Corinthia. Uh, just hold your, your peace. Let's get into the message. And by the time we are done, you can come to a conclusion whether do we still have a Corinthian spirit in the message. And if we have, how do we overcome it? A lot of times you never solve a problem until you acknowledge that there is a problem because a problem acknowledged is a problem solved. And once you become, you, become, you are in denial, uh, the problem escalates and it becomes worse and things degenerate. But we thank God that uh, through the mirror of the weight, we are able to look and see things and things that must be corrected have got to be corrected. Brother spoke about the message, the book of Corinthians, a book of correct, corrections. But I want, to, I want to zoom in and look at the spirit that was prevalent during the time of Corinthia and look at some of the, uh, uh, I will say, even environmental factors that were there that affected the spiritual factors. But... Uh, let me get into it. Just the background, I've gone into the church history. When you look at the uh, Corinthian, uh, Corinth 
it was a city which we call it, it was cosmopolitan, meaning it was made up of people of diverse background, diverse beliefs, diverse cultures. That's why we, we would call it a cosmopolitan city. Uh, if it was today, I think Johannesburg would be something that would look like uh, the city of Corinth, or you look at Las Vegas in the States, or you look at London in the UK, or you look at Nairobi in Kenya, or you look at Harare in Zimbabwe, meaning it was a cosmopolitan city where it was necessary, it was not a homogeneous group, people that looked and sounded the same that were there, they were quite diverse. It said on the small uh, silver of land between two bodies of water, people from all over the Mediterranean world converged in Corinth. Uh, it was more like the Dubai uh, because it had a port, so it was a trade center. Goods were brought into the city by ship. Sometimes the ships were pulled across the land to the other side where they would sail on. So there were all kinds of people in the city. They brought their own religious beliefs. The religious background of Corinth was a mixed mixture of Greek, Roman, and Oriental. There was very little understanding of their, the ways of this new religion in town, Christianity. The Christian teachings were against the grain of everything they knew of uh, religion. Carrying on, Corinth was the home of the temple of Aphrodite, uh, and she was supposed to be the goddess of sensual love and pleasure. It's been said that 1,000 temple prostitutes served at the temple, even in the morally corrupt society of the Roman Empire. Uh, Corinth was known for its excessive moral decay. The word Corinthian was used by the Romans for someone who was immoral and excessive in their immorality. Corinth was the sin city, the Las Vegas of the Roman Empire, or the, I don't know, in South Africa what I would call it, uh, the shipping trade uh, made many people rich there. So when we speak about, the reason I am coming back to speak about the background and just look at Corinth, Corinthian as a city, is because a lot of times you, you, you must understand the church, when it is in an area, the church must be operate above the spirits that dominate the area. So you, you, you cannot be in Las Vegas as a message believer and behave like people that are in Las Vegas. You are, your behavior has got to be different. Your conduct has got to be different. Your dressing has got to be different. Your life in its entirety has got to be different. But I'm giving you a background of Corinthians that it was not a poor town or a city. It was a cosmopolitan city. It had people moving into it and people moving out of it. It had mixture of cultures. It had mixture of beliefs. But above that, the church, the expectation of a Christian church, even during that time, is that it was not supposed to be affected by, by the spirit that dominated the city. And there is a reason, and you go, 
you 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 you're gonna see because you get a sense that there was an issue of immorality in Corinthian, and then the same problem that you found found in the society. You find that when we get into the scriptures, you find that problem is now somewhat got into the church. So that's why I think when God sends the message, especially the revealed word of the hour, is to immunize the church against the devil's attacks. And the devil's devices are always refined for the age. The devil has never attacked the church with outdated weaponry. He always updates his weaponry. And in the same vein, God has never, what fortifies the church is the weight. And there is the progression of revelation in the weight. And that's why uh, the other time I read a scripture or a quotation where Brother Man says, the end time message will meet the end time conditions. That means things are going to go in a certain way in the end time. But what is going to happen, there's got to be a message that can uh, combat Satan in the end time. So I'm giving you a scenario that you can see they, they had a, an idol there and it was a sex goddess. They had a temple there and over a thousand prostitutes served in that temple. But I'm not so much on to that, but I was giving you a background of the city so that as we unpack what we mean by Corinthian spirit, you understand what it is so that there are, because the objective is that you must be able to identify it. You must be able to overcome it and you must be able to know what is the remedy against it. Now, there was often, when you look at Paul, there were quite a number of local assemblies or sister churches, if we may use the modern day uh, language. You had a, a church in Ephesus, you had a church in Thessalonica, you had a church in, uh, uh, you had quite a number of them around the Philippians and so forth. But it seemed like Paul had more difficulty with the Corinthians than any other church. Yes, to a certain extent, Galatians were foolish. They started with spiritual things and ended up with carnal things. But you find that he, a lot of times, he had, most of the time, he had difficulty with the Corinthian church. And we want to look at the characteristics of this church and what made it difficult uh, for Paul to interact and to be able to place this church positionally. You look at Brother Brenham, he speaks in the message Corinthians book of correction. He says, we notice Paul could teach the Ephesians there how that before the foundation of the world, they were predestinated unto the adoption of the sons of God. The Corinthians didn't know nothing about that. They had to have a little feeling or something, little sensation, one, one this, that, the other, and they depended on that. He couldn't teach them the deep things of God. So you get a sense that one of the most, and Brother Brenham in your message, I think it's adoption, he says uh, preaching condemns a sinner, but teaching places him positionally. But he, now he tells you that he, he, Paul struggled to teach the Corinthians 
the deeper things of God as he did with the Ephesians because they were not in their positions. But now we want to understand why they were not in their positions and why am I being daring to bring uh, commonalities of what I see in the end time and what was seen in the first in the Corinthian church. Now, let's get here. Uh, somebody says, look, we are not the Corinthians. Everybody would want to be an efficient material, especially the message of the hour. Uh, believers, everyone would want to say we are more interested in the deeper things of God. Uh, but a lot of times you need the mirror of the way to look and say, where are we? Now, Brother Branham says in this message, the designing the body of the Lord. Paragraph 3.0. It says, not only do we in this day are guilty of the same crime that Paul was rebuking the Corinthian church for, but of trying to do something that the Lord had commanded without designing the body of the Lord. The body of the Lord is the believers. But today we are doing things, not discerning any of the word of God. We should have a discernment on everything that we do. It ought to be measured by the word of God. All that Christians do and say should be measured by the word of God. Now, Brother Brenham is telling you that we are somewhat guilty of the same crime that Paul rebuked the Corinthians for. And if the prophet says we are somewhat guilty, and you say we are not guilty, I'd rather take what the prophet says and reflect on that. And if there is a need for repentance, uh, I'll repent from that. But I'd rather not be in denial when the prophet says there may be a replica, a similarities between what we see today and what Paul saw then. Now, he says the, their main problem is that the Corinthians did not make the weight the standard. That's what he said. They did not design the Lord's body. And what is the Lord's body? Is the believers. And what did they, did they not do? They did not design the weight of God. Now, you look at this. He says, we are guilty of that. But he carries on. He says, today, in paragraph 32, today, People have changed quite a bit. They sometimes put more reliability on what the church says than what the word says. Today, people put more reliability on what the church says than what the word says. They believe then that the church has better rights to discern our taste than what the word of God has. That's why today, when we, in the early years, when we came into the message of the hour, the standard, it didn't matter whether you were in the north, it didn't matter whether you were in the south, it didn't matter whether you were in the east, it didn't matter whether you were in the west, the standard across the board was the same. It was the word of God. But in the process of time, it began somewhat where everyone was beginning to say, my church, my church, my church. And I need to put it to you that the moment we go that way, we are going the Corinthian way. And that's why, by God's grace tonight, I want to zoom in that spirit and pay adventure somebody may be helped on that. Reliability 
has to be on the weight, not on the church. Brabham says that was the problem with the Corinthians. They based so much on a feeling, sensation, how they perceived things in stage of the word of God. And somewhat we are beginning to see exactly the same thing in the end time. Look, we are at a time where we are just past that time where we say denominations, these and bashing denominations, things that we used to bash in denominations have crept into the camp. And today we don't, when we preach, it's not so much about denominations, but it is about ourselves. Where we look ourselves in the mirror and say, my, this shouldn't be here, that shouldn't be here, and repent on that. Now, let me carry on here a bit. Let me carry here on a bit. Brother Brenham says in the uh, Sadistian Church Age, he says, now, I just said that this era of the Corinthians, this era gave tremendous growth to the denominational spirit. If the Corinthian, if the Corinthian attitude of I am of Paul, I am of Cephas was ever exhibited, it was now. I want you to listen to this quotation attentively. Now, I just said that this era gave tremendous growth to the denominational spirit. A lot of times, people do not know what is a denominational spirit. They think denominational spirit is to be in a church. That is a denomination. And I've said many times, you can be in the message and yet have the denominational spirit. So the prophet says, now I just said that this era gave tremendous growth to the denominational spirit. If the Corinthian attitude of I am of Paul, Paul was a messenger. I am of Cephas. Cephas was a servant or a minister under Paul in that age, was ever exhibited, it was now. Now, Brother Brenham is, is making a link here, if you are very, very attentive, that I am of so-and-so, I am of so-and-so, I am of so-and-so, he says that's a denominational spirit. Even when you say, I am of Paul, who was a messenger, he says right there, it's a denominational spirit because you find that, and we're going to unpack what we mean by that. I say, uh, things that we used to bash and attack in the denominations and disapprove of, to today we have embraced them proudly so, and we don't realize that we have fallen into the same trap. Our message is very simple. Our brother Brenham's message was very simple. It was not to make Brother Brenham the central figure of the ministry. If you make William Brenham the central figure of the ministry, you have denominated. You have a denominational spirit. It was not to make us as ministers the central figures of the ministry. If you do that, you have succumbed to a denominational spirit, even though you may be in the message. But what the message wanted to achieve, and it has always been the desire of the messenger, and it is the desire of every genuine servant of God, is to make Christ the central figure. 
that when all is said and done, people should see Christ. Not even William Brenner, but to see Christ. The ministry was to introduce Christ. And the ultimate goal of the ministry is for you to get to a point where you see Christ. If you see just ministers, then you've got a problem because Brother Brenham is linking up that to a denominational spirit. Now, we're going to expound on what we mean by that. And we're going to go through the book of uh, Corinthians by God's grace, and God will help us tonight to go through it and see things that we, we really want to see in this book. I'm going to go through this book in no time, and I hope you, you will follow. Now, at the beginning of the book of Corinthians, uh, chapter 1, uh, chapter, uh, one. actually it's this chapter, if you look at it, it's chapter 1, verse 10, not chapter 10. It is just a problem with, with the, with the, with the typo there. It's First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it had it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are all of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of of Paul. This is the beginning as it opens in this chapter. Paul is reporting that I hear that there are divisions among you. And I I hear that there are contentions among you. And I I hear that there is no, there is no, uh, because he says, I beseech you, brethren, ye, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye speak the same thing. You don't speak the same thing anymore and it says that you there be no divisions among you that you are that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment we're going to unpack what we mean when it says be joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment and speak the same thing we used to speak the same thing we used to be of the same mind we see we used to be of the same judgment. And maybe let me unpack what I mean by judgment. There was a time in the message of the hour that sin was seen in church A and sin was seen in church B and sin was seen in church C and sin was seen in church D and sin was seen in church E. But in the process of time, because people desire to adapt. We find that what is seen in church A is no longer seen in church B. And we find that what is seen in church B is no longer seen in church C. Because why? 
is no longer of the same judgment, but now there is beginning to be a diversity of thoughts. Why? Because now the churches are becoming a standard instead of the message becoming a standard. And may God help us tonight so that we unpack what we mean. And that is why today, if one is excommunicated in church A, one will be a deacon in church C. That's the problem of today. If one is excommunicated in church C, will be a song leader in church A. Why? Because we have let down the bars. Because why? We've made churches and men's opinions to be a standard instead of the weight being a standard. There was a time in the message, as far as I remember, those that were privileged to have come in the early years before the church politics corrupted the environment. If you were excommunicated in church A, you couldn't go to church B, you couldn't go to church C, you couldn't go to church D. You had to be home until you repent. And when you repent, you had to go come back to church A and repent in church A. But in the process of time, people are no longer cannot sit at home because there is diversity of thoughts in state of the standard prevailing of the weight. But we're going to unpack, you know what I mean, you know what I mean. Now, what, what created a problem among the Corinthians is that somebody came and said, I'm of Paul. Another one came and said, I'm of Apollos. Another one said, I'm of Cephas. Another one said, I am of Christ. Can Christ be divided? This is the question that we used to ask denominations in the yesteryear, but this is a question that we must pose to the message community today, to message believers, to followers of William Brenham, can Christ be divided? Now, let's carry on. But Paul says, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, he says, but we preach Christ crucified. Paul wanted to say, you're losing focus. This gospel is not about personalities. This gospel is not about groups. This gospel is not about, is not about what camps. But this gospel is about preaching Christ the crucified. He was telling them that you are losing focus because Christ has got to be central in whatever we do. Even today, you get to people that see Brother Brenham, but they don't see Christ. That's why in some cases, people would dare even baptize in Brother Brenham's name. And I have said this, and I will say it often, if you worship Brother Brenham, and you die, and you go to, uh, you die, you will end up in hell. Because William Brenham is not the way, the truth, and life. Christ is the way, the truth, and life. I, as a pastor, am not the way, the truth, and life. Christ is the way, the truth, and life. If the, I like it when Charles Spurgeon says, if any sermon could be preached and that cannot elevate Christ, such a sermon should have never preached in, in, in the history of human race. So 
If we preach and we do not preach Christ, we have not preached. Because this message that we are preaching today, the centrality of this message is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am deliberately making sure that I say it is not William Brenham. William Brenham preached Christ. William Brenham pointed us to Christ. William Brenham was the signpost. The moment we make William Brenham the Savior, we have lost the mark. The moment we make a pastor a Savior, we have lost the mark. The moment we make an apostle a Savior, we have lost the mark. And we are back again, or we are succumbing to the spirit that defeated the Corinthians. And I can say one more time. That's why Brother Bram says Christ is the central theme of the entire Bible, is the center of revelation. Paul says exactly the same. We preach Christ crucified. This is, it has to be said most of the time. But what, what made, the, what made the, the Corinthians to be so divided? And what makes us today to be so divided? Brother Brenham says in this message, Christ is the mystery of God revealed, paragraph 34304. He says, by lack of this revelation is why we have so many different divisions among us and so much mockery. The lack of revelation, I'm getting excited here. By lack of this revelation is why we have so many different denominations, uh, different divisions among us. And so much mockery, so much division among us is because the people lack that revelation. See, they lack that revelation. They teach us. They teach us. Now, Brother Brenham here is bringing a diagnosis. I call it the, the spiritual diagnosis here. He says the divisions are there, and those, those divisions are caused by lack of revelation. And lack of revelation brings mockery. And the problem is that most of the time, people, when he says the lack of that revelation, the teachers, that means people are not well taught. Now, we're going to come. The bride must have the same spirit. The bride must have the same revelation. The bride must have the same message. The bride must have the same messenger. The bride must be led by the same Holy Ghost. And the moment there are divisions is because somewhat the quality of revelation that must be brought by the Holy Ghost has been compromised. We're going to unpack what we mean by that. And I'm glad certain things because this prophet that brought this message. He was not just a minister. He was the prophet and he was a man sent from God. Certain things, he saw them even before they could take place. He knew where we would be in 2022, even though he is not here. If you get into the message, you'll realize that Brother Brenham could, fo could foresee that certain things are going to creep into the message. But maybe before I get to the next quotation, let me assure you, from 1947, based on the records of the message that we have, until today, 
there's never been a time where this message was contaminated. I know what I mean. From 1947 until today, this message was never contaminated. Men made revelations, men made revelations around the message were contaminated, but the message was never contaminated. And I say a lot of times when you see a wrong doctrine, give it 10 to 15 years. 10 to 15 years, it may not be around, but I can assure you the message will be around. Movements come and go, isms come and go, doctrines come and go, but the message remains. And blessed are those who have anchored their hope in the message because this message is the son of man revealed in the end time. This message is not another gospel. It is the same gospel that emanates from the pages of the Bible. Now, Brother Brennan prays a prayer in the seventh seal. It, it amazed me. It struck me. Why such a prayer when he, after he had preached the seventh seal? This is an extract from that, extract from that prayer. In 372, he says, I pray that you will keep the power of Satan away from them to discourage them or to try to make, to try to make them make cults or just keep all the powers of the enemy away, Lord. Sanctify us to thy weight, granted, Lord. Listen to the prayer. On the 24th of March, 1963, a man is praying. He said, I pray that you will keep the power of Satan away from them. Who? The bride. Message believers. Because that, those powers of Satan may discourage them or may try to make them make cults. Brother Brenham knew that after he was gone, there may be temptation as it has always been the case after the departure of every messenger, the temptation to make a cult out of what God has already provided. And just keep all the powers of the enemy away. Lord, sanctify us to thy way. Grant it, Lord. Now, I want to say, Lord, I thank you that the messenger has already prayed a prayer over us that we will not be discouraged we will not, the powers of Satan will not make us to make cults. And I say, may, the, may your servant's prayer be answered in our lives in 2022. It is our desire. We don't want the message to be a cult. We don't want it to be discouraged. We want every power of the enemy to be kept away from the bride of Jesus Christ based on the messenger's prayer in 1963, and we understand today why he prayed that kind of a prayer. Now, we want to unpack. We have looked at the opening of the Corinthians. Paul speaks to them about divisions among them, contentions about them, a lack of same mind, a lack of the same judgment, we see that he's telling them that they have divided themselves along personalities. And if you say you don't see those things today, therefore you are blind. But I'm glad 
that if there is a devil's attack, there must be God's cure to that attack. Let's come to this. Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And he says, I, brethren, in chapter 1, he dealt with the spirit of divisions. Folks, in chapter 1, he always he dealt with the spirit of divisions. The spirit of division is of the devil. I'll repeat, the spirit of division is of the devil. Every time you find brethren divided, you must know that it is because of the enemy and somewhat the brethren became negligent or complacent until the enemy ambushed them. The day I see my brother less than a brother, the day I see my sister less than a sister, irrespective of where they are in terms of fellowship, then I have secured my place at the altar where I need to repent because I am succumbing to the spirit of Corinthians. Even when you disagree with your brother and you disagree with your sister, they are still your brother, they are still your sister if you've got the Holy Ghost. Now, chapter 1, he deals with the spirit of divisions. Let's come to chapter 2 of the same book. He says to the Corinthians, And I, brethren, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He's telling them, the moment somebody say, I'm, I'm not coming to you with ex- excellency of speech. Remember, Corinthian was a cosmopolitan. It was the Dubai of the time. Now, if it was the Dubai of the time, that means what stimulated them was intellectualism. But the messenger says to them, I'm not coming to you with excellency of speech or of wisdom. Declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ, him crucified. He says here to them, I don't care what you know. I don't care about your experiences. But when I come there, I'm determined to know only one thing among you, Jesus Christ. I don't care about your associations. I don't care about your backgrounds. I don't care about your personal revelations. When I come to you, I'm determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ, him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not the enticing words of men's wisdom. You know, These people wanted to come to church and be wowed by the sermon and be intellectually stimulated by the sermon. But Paul says, I'm not coming with enticing words of a man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power. The spirit and of power. When you go, I've not included this quotation Brother Bram says in your seven church age book, he says Paul's ministry was in a threefold. He says Paul's ministry was in a threefold. 
And when you check, it says that Paul's ministry was a pattern for every genuine minister of God. Go and check it. Punch in your computer in the seven church age and say, Paul, ministry pattern. It will bring it up and tell you that it was the threefold. And it says that should be a pattern for every ministry. But I'm not on Paul's ministry. I'm in exposing the Corinthian spirit. So, the, in, second, in, in the second chapter of Corinthians, Paul is, is rebuking mental conception or intellectual faith among them to be stimulated with weights, to be enticed with weights, the excellency of speech. And he says, I'm determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, the crucified. I hope May it be our desire. When we come to church, one thing that we must be, for lack of a better way, obsessed with is to know Jesus Christ. When we read the Bible, is to know Jesus Christ. When you read the quotations, is to know Jesus Christ. No wonder your prophet comes and says, if you read any verse in the Bible and don't see Jesus Christ, read again. Because Jesus Christ is the central theme of the entire Bible. If I go to a convention, I need to see Jesus Christ. If I listen to the tape, I want to hear Jesus Christ. If I read the quotation, I want to see Jesus Christ. If I come to church, I want to... The whole focus should be Jesus Christ, him, the crucified. Now, and I wonder why Jesus, why Paul is making a distinction and say, him, the crucified. Why doesn't just say Jesus Christ? Why is he him, the crucified? He's telling you that from Adam until today, the only one that was, that died and rose for your sins is Jesus Christ. And if a man has never died for your sins, you cannot elevate that man or that movement or that group or your personal, whatever it may be, above the Lord Jesus Christ. He is above everyone. Now, Brother Brennan, I want to go into chapter 2 because he's dealing with intellectual conception. Then he says in the brother in the message, why are people so tossed about? In paragraph 71, he says, now speaking this, there, are, there is two types, there is two different types of Christianity. It says, seems strange, but I will not say two different types. I will say two different faces would be a better way to use, not two types, two faces. The same Christianity but two faces of it. And one of them is an intellectual or a mental conception of what God has said in his word and of Jesus Christ and by the way of knowledge. And the other is an experimental experience that God has given the man in his heart. He's telling you about two faces. I think he, he said two types of Christianity, but he thought that may not be palatable to the people that he was speaking to. And he simply says there are two types of Christians. Both are Christians, but at different levels. One is an intellectual or of mental conception of what God said in his way 
and of Jesus Christ by the way of knowledge. And the other is an experimental experience that God has given the man in his heart. Carries on. He says, the one intellectually is hungering. He is feast, feasting on God, but his feast doesn't hold out. And the other one seems to have victory all the time. There's nothing bothers them. They are just as solid and anchored as they can be. No trials, no storms bothers them at all. But they seem to have something about them that people who are Christians and trying to live for God admire that type of Christian. We admire the second type of a Christian, the one whose victory holds out, holds on. Not the one that has got a victory today and tomorrow does not have a victory. Here, Brother Brim was speaking about, and when you check what he's saying in this message, and you apply it to the Corinthians, you find that the Corinthians were not stable people. One moment they are here, the next moment they are over there. They were tossed about by every wind of doctrine. They were not established in the weight because they had the mental conception. But now, Brother Brown said, there is another type. This one, he is a Christian by experience. A Christian, not only on Sunday, but throughout 365 days, 72 hours, 24 hours, seven days a week. And he says, such a Christian is the one that is admired. And I say, God, give us more of such Christians who are stable and established in the way, irrespective of where they are. They remain being Christians. They are not tossed about, but they are planted like a tree that's planted by the waters. Now, in second chapter 2, in, in the second chapter, he speaks of intellectualism. In first chapter, it was about divisions. In the second chapter, now he speaks about intellectualism. Let me explain what we mean. If you know the message, and you know the message quotations, and you associate with the message church, but your life is devoid of the very quotations that you know, you are an intellectual believer. Now, let's come here. Carnality. We move to third chapter. My, hope time will be on our side, but we'll try our best. If you give me just a few minutes, this is the critical things that I need to cover tonight. I always admire ministers that bring series. I'm not a series preacher. Everyone has got their own place. Whenever I preach the message, I want to deliver it. And next time, God gives me something else. But there are those that can have a series, uh, have series sometime when God grants it to me. But most of the time, I'm not a series minister. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. But as unto our carnal, even as unto babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk, not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, 
neither yet now are he able. When message believers look at this, they say it's not for us. Maybe Pentecostals, it's not for us. We fit on the weight, on the third pole, the seventh seal, the revelation of this, of the Son of Man, all those wonderful stuff. But let's go and read further. For ye are carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal? And walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? Who is Apollo, Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. Are we not seeing that in the end time? I am of so and so. I'm of so and so. I'm so of so and so. Are these not ministers by whom ye believed? And today we use ministers by whom we believed and we built things around those personalities as the Corinthians did then. It's repeating today. But it says, even as the Lord gave every man. Then it carries on. It says, I have planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. I had much better say something here. Most of us will forget who called us into the message. Jesus says, no man can come to me unless he is drawn by the Father. Jesus, the man, couldn't bring them to himself. They had to be drawn to him by the Father. Even William Branham couldn't bring us to him. We had to be drawn by the Father. And today, no minister can bring you to him except the Father bringing you to himself. Yes, he will use a minister. And one, he will use him to water to plant, and another one you'll use him to water. But the waterer and the planter, we don't attach any degree of importance to them because he that we must attach importance to is the one that bringeth the increase. And who is that? God himself. Then he says, he says, now he that planteth, and he that watereth are one. And he and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. I hope you hear it. I hope we, we hear it. What Paul was simply saying to the Corinthians, you don't understand the synergy of the ministries. You don't understand that if you've got a planter but you don't have the waterer, the city will die. And if you've got a waterer without the planter, 
the seed will not be into the ground. So you need the synergy between the waterer and as well as the planter. But the problem with the Corinthians, they divided the waterer from the planter. They deemed one more important than the other. Others rallied around the waterer. Others were rallied around the planter and it caused the divisions among them. It's exactly what we see today. If one man is an apostle, he is apostle within the body of Christ. If one is a teacher, he is a teacher within the body of Christ. If one is a prophet, he is a prophet within the body of Christ. If one is a pastor, he is a pastor within the body of Christ. If one is a teacher, all those offices, evangelists, is a gift within the body of Christ. But you need to understand the evangelist is not important than the pastor and the pastor is not more important than the prophet and the apostle is not important than the rest of them. All of them, they are working towards the same goal and there is a synergy between these ministries to achieve a particular goal which is for the edification of the church. But carnality made us to split them elevate one above the other and we created a chaos same chaos that we left in the denominations we see it becoming prevalent within the message community Brother says here in the message hear ye him he says you will always be a crippled church divisions nothing cripples a church nothing cripples the body of Christ like divisions I belong to this I belong to that. He says, I would like for the whole church to say, I belong to Christ. It is my desire as well that if I go to the east, they must say we belong to Christ. If I go to the north, they say we belong to Christ. If I go to the south, we belong to Christ. If I go to the west, we belong to Christ. Because why? Christ is the central figure. Divisions will cripple any ministry, the body of Christ. And what has, what has made somewhat the message to be of non-effect in the end time, especially among young ones, is because they did not experience that organic love that some of us experience in the early stages of the ministry. You know, in the early stages of the ministry, even when we helped a believe, an unbeliever, we did it with love, with patience, with prayer. But not today. Today is done by condemnation, is done by isolation. And that is not the spirit of Christ. Divisions. Uh, I, I, cannot for, I cannot speak forgiveness. I cannot preach forgiveness if I cannot forgive my brother. I cannot preach love if I don't love my brother. I cannot give what I don't have. Today, the frustration and what has made the message to be of none effect is that people are trying to give out what they don't have. And most of the time, it's pulpit delinquency. The pulpit is trying to give what it does not have. I carry on. Somebody say, yes, the people, some people are wrong. Yes. Wherever there is a gathering of people, somebody will be wrong. People are not angels. People are human beings. People make mistakes. But how do we handle a mistake? 
is we don't use someone's mistake to make them an outcast. But this is how we deal with it. In the message, why are we not a denomination? Paragraph 196. He says, if a man is in the wrong, go to him and be reconciled. If you can't be reconciled, take somebody with you. No wonder God can discipline his church because you are not doing it right. Instead of getting on the phone and talking about this one, what taking place, little cults and so forth around like that, instead of doing that, why don't you what do, why don't you do what the Bible says? If some brother has been overtaken in fault, go to him and see if you can get him reconciled with him. Well, now he did me. I don't care what he did. Go to him anyhow. He didn't say for him to come to you. You go to him if he's wrong. You say, well, he was in the wrong. He ought to come to me. That's not what the Bible said. The Bible said for you to go to him. If he's wrong, you go to him. If we, were, if we had used this quotation and it became alive among us, we wouldn't have divisions that we have today. We wouldn't have complexes that we have today. Now, let me come to another one. In the fifth chapter, just give me a few minutes, I will wrap up not long. In the fifth chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, it is reported commonly, it is becoming common, that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much na as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. You see, we spoke about Corinthia, a cosmopolitan, a, a city that was dominated uh, where they had the sex goddess, where women were beautiful. It was, it was, it was a vibrant city. But instead of the church rising above that, sin that was in the city invaded the church. And it says that one should have his father's wife. This man took his stepmom and he puffed up, have not, have not rather moaned. But he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present, concerning him that hath done that hath so done this deed. What was happening here? <laughs> A man takes his father's wife, he took his stepmom, became intimate with her, but was still comfortable to come to church. And Paul says. You have now allowed this behavior. It has become normal. And I'm saying there are certain things that are becoming a norm in the message church that should not be a norm. Wildliness is creeping into the message church. Because why? We want to conform. They wanted to conform to Corinthian, which was a cosmopolitan city. They couldn't rise above the spirit that dominated the city until that spirit made it into church. Today, aren't we seeing it? 
look at the young people today and compare them with the young people of the yesteryear. We need grace. We need grace. Why couldn't they excommunicate this gentleman? Brabham goes further to speak about him. In the message, the key to the door, 109, he says, another thing, it was misunderstood what it was. Sinners and men living in sin come and took the communion. That was misunderstood. A man was living with his mother, foster mother, and the church had told had told him about it, still taking communion at the table. There were divisions among them. They were still taking communion. He said, I understand that you talk like the rest, like the rest, like the rest, the Gentile. There is friction among you, like there is at, especially in Kepha's house and so forth. See, you walk like the rest, like the rest, the Gentile. See, it was misunderstood. What is happening there? Succumb. To the Gentile, the Gentile way was a heathen way. They spoke like heathens. They came to church like heathens. They lived like heathens. And that was a problem. And Paul says, I'm not there present in flesh. I'm there in spirit, but I've already judged as though I'm in flesh. That means things that were happening among them, he considered them to be repulsive. They didn't keep the church clean. I was talking to some young people, the other ones, they were telling me about how other young people, somewhere they say, you know, I'm very unfair. I don't want my young people just to uh, hang out together, boys and girls. I don't believe in that. I believe between a brother and a sister, there must be a holy distance. I don't believe that a brother could be a friend of a sister. Because he needs to understand that man, that woman is going to be, that girl is going to be some, another man's wife later on. They, we grew up during the time where sisters had sobriety. When they were around brothers, they had that sobriety. I still subscribe to the old-fashioned ways. This one where brothers and sisters are giggling and getting along and becoming socialites in the name of the message, I beg to differ. I don't believe in that. I believe in the old-time-fashioned uh, old uh, religion. I don't believe in mingling around. I believe a brother, when he speaks to the sister, he's got to be a gentleman and keep a certain distance and have a respect and have a certain decorum. This one that we see today, I will not, I will not allow that at all. I believe young, I believe this message can produce sound young men. I believe this message can produce sound womb, young women. And I believe they can live pure in their youth. And I believe the church and especially the pulpit is responsible to make sure that there is holiness in the camp. I often say we rather be few but be of quality than be many but of poor quality. I believe that 100%. Maybe even today, I don't believe in this type of courtship where brother this month courts this sister. After six months, cuts this, this, this sister. After the other year, this sister. Before he gets married, he has courted 
six sisters. Where is the Holy Ghost in that? That's not the operation of the Holy Ghost. It is last operating in the church. And such, some of us as ministers, we will never permit that. Because we want when young girls get married, they have dignity and respect by their husband based on how they conducted themselves. Because the pulpit never let down the bars. I don't know how this man managed to, to wake up at the same house and come when he's living with his stepmom. This man should have been excommunicated. But today if we excommunicate such men, there's going to be a renegade disguising as a minister somewhere and saying, no, you can come into our church. It's not a problem as such. And every minister must know the devil would want to turn every local assembly into a into a script into a spiritual scrapyard. And I say we need to refuse that. We need new creatures. The gathering of the new creatures, not a spiritual scrapyard where people can live any kind of life and they get chucked somewhere and they know that if they chase me here, I will be welcome over there. No sir. No sir. No sir. If you know the truth and do certain things when you know the truth, you cannot be accepted until you repent on your ways. But look at the Corinthians. Look at, look, look at the immorality that we see even in the message camp. There was a time when it was, it was, there was a time where it was a shame for a young girl, even for a young boy for that matter, because it's not so much only on the girl child, even the boy child to have a child before marriage. But today, in the message, you'll find old sisters that must teach young sisters celebrating a teen pregnancy and even throwing a baby shower for Sage and still call themselves message believers. It's a shame. It's a shame. It shows that the church has backslidden. It shows the church has fallen from grace, but it needs men to rise up and call it out and say that is a sin. We don't celebrate teen pregnancies. Yes, a child comes from God, but we need a repentance from the young mother. We need a repentance from the young father because marriage, certain things, belong to a marriage. I still believe that sex before marriage is a sin. I'm going to close not long. Bear with me. This man was wrong. The church was wrong to accept such. I wonder what type of sermons did they preach in this church when a man is living like this but feels comfortable to be in the church living such a such a life. A man living with his stepmom and coming to the communion table. I congratulated our singers in the church for dressing modestly. And for that, we want to salute them and we want to encourage them. And if anyone would come and be part of them and is not dressed modestly, they must be able to say, look, the way you are dressed, you may be talented, but you cannot sing with us dressed in this manner. Call it out. It will hurt feelings, but let me tell you, it will keep your church clean. Because once the church is not clean, many areas are going to be compromised. Marriages are going to collapse. Men are not going to be 
respect their marriage vows. A lot of things are going to go haywire. So it is in the interest of everyone to make sure that the weight has preeminency. Your children are going to go wild when the weight is not in this position. So it is in the interest of everyone to make sure the weight has got the preeminency in the local assembly. And it's every, it is the responsibility of everyone to guard that jealously. And it's the, in the, it's the responsibility of everyone to make sure that if one is not living right, we go to him. This case needed deacons to go and confront the brother and tell him not to come to church until such time he repents. But he came to the communion table. Let's carry on. In chapter 7, verse 1. Now, concerning the things whereof he wrote unto me, there was a problem here. Essays were being written to Paul. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. This was a tired mini a messenger is tired based on what has been written to him. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, fornication is an interaction of a boy and a girl before marriage. Excuse me, marriage. This is what they call dating in our time. To avoid fornication, let every man have his own, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. But if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put his wife, put away his wife. Listen to the, now he's getting, they're having a problem with marriage and divorce. They're having a problem with marriage and divorce. At the beginning, you, you might have said, Corinthian spirit is not here. We're in the message. Are we not having issues with marriage and divorce today? Now, he's telling them, let every, let every man have his own wife. We don't be, he said, don't allow the dating. Don't allow, allow young boys and young girls to run around. If they bend, let them marry. Let them keep the marriage bed honorable. But he says, but if she, if she depart, let her remain unmarried. This year, I'm going to unpack. There is no scripture, there is no quotation that allows anyone to remarry unless there's been a case of fornication. Not a case of adultery, a case of fornication. Adultery and fornication is not the same thing. Adultery, uh, fornication is prior to marriage. Adultery is in marriage. There is no scripture for adultery. There is a scripture for fornication. Now, I've preached that if you go into the archives of this channel, you'll find where I spoke about marriage and divorce, the true revelation on marriage and divorce. Now, there are times where if a woman is abused or if a man cannot repent and run around and the poor woman maybe fears that this man may bring diseases 
In such an instance, the sisters got a right to separate. I didn't say to divorce. I say to separate until God is working on the matter. And as long as they are, they have separated, the one that is right must still live right and must live clean. Praying that by God's grace they may be reconciled. Or if there is no reconciliation, to live alone until one of them passes on. And in this case, I hope there won't be uh, a foul play where one kills another in order to be free to remarry. If any minister can remarry somebody whose partner is still alive, such a minister is not a minister, is a wolf wearing the sheep's clothing and is misleading people and making them to be double-fold children of hell. Paul is telling the Corinthians, you are mishandling marriage and divorce cases. And that's why this is where we need to teach our young people the truth on marriage and divorce. You can only remarry if there's been a case of fornication or when your partner is in the grave. Other than those cases, you have no right to remarry. Hope it is clear. You can separate but live alone until one partner dies. But hoping you won't be guilty of murder. Then he says, And if and, and, and the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. When you come into the message and your husband is not in the message, you are still married to your husband. The marriage doesn't cause a divorce, doesn't qualify for a divorce. Even if you have married in the world and you come into the message, that wife remains your wife, even in the message. Even though they are not believers, they are still your partners. And it says, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, else where where you are children unclean, but now they are holy. And if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us unto peace. I've had, I've had, you know, today we've got some Tommy Roths, spiritual renegades, that would want to turn the grace of God that produced this message into something else. I heard someone say, if the brother and the sister are married and a brother backslides, it means the brother has died or the sister has died after she backslid and therefore they are allowed to remarry because they are, they are dead spiritually. Nonsense. Death here refers to physical death, not spiritual death. Even if he backslides, you are still married. 
anyone that would want to make it as some make it to say something else, that person must be a case. There is no way where William Brenham says, if you are married and your husband backslides, then you are allowed to leave that husband or that wife that is no longer believing because they are dead spiritually can remarry. That is a doctrine from hell. When reaching a message, I think it is in the message uh, standing in the gap. Brother Bram speaks about a girl that got married to a young boy, and this boy just recently came into faith. He says, the sister said to the boy, he says, look, I've been in this faith since childhood. I am more experienced to fight the enemy. But you, one day, because you are still an amateur or an, a novice, if one day you are overtaken by the devil, just know that you must return back home. I will be here and we'll pray together. And Brother Branham say, how can a man abuse such love? Now, Branham there didn't emphasize that the sister would say, the day you backslide, you'll be dead. Therefore, I'm free. Nonsense. This is being brought about by modern preachers who are more interested in your money than your soul. And if you believe such and you die, you're going to go to hell. And that was the problem with the Corinthians. And that's our problem today. Let's go. Maybe while here, I must say, even if you were in the world and you were married and you divorced and you married another one and you came into the faith, you are forgiven because you did not know. It's unlike the one that knew. But when you come in, you cannot be a minister, you cannot be a deacon, you cannot be an elder. I hope I'm making myself clear. A divorcee, no matter you are baptized, no matter you are filled with the Holy Ghost, some things remain, you cannot be a deacon or an elder. You can be forgiven and be welcome in church, but you cannot be a deacon or an elder. You cannot be a minister. My. Let's carry on. Listen to what Brother Branham says. I hope I'll wrap up. I'm battling to land my plane, but we'll wrap up. He says in the message, the spoken word is the original seat. Paragraph 203. He says, if the, truth of, if the truth of even marriage and divorce was only brought out in its light that it's in here, in the Bible, it would break up every church in the city, any other city. Try to get back to it. Brother Branham is telling you the sensitivity of marriage and divorce can break up a church. And I've said it often, if a church cannot rise, and not and not be clean on the issue of marriage and divorce, that church is gone. If we cannot preach marriage and divorce freely in a local assembly, that local assembly is gone. Why? The natural types the spiritual. Because if we allow, we become uncomfortable to address it in the natural, it will be difficult to address it in the spiritual. 
If there is a natural fornication, there is spiritual fornication. If there is natural adultery, there is spiritual adultery. And if we cannot address it naturally, we'll battle to address it spiritually. Then he comes. 1 Corinthians 11. He speaks about headship. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of angels. He's speaking about a headship. He saw that men were battling to be men. There are men that are not men. They cannot say no in the house. Because when you are a man, you are entrusted with the leadership of your family. That, what does it mean? You're going to be accountable for your wife and your children. God is going to make sure that you are accountable for them. So as a spiritual leader in the family or as the head of the family, there must be spiritual vigilancy in a sense that holiness doesn't begin in the house of God. It begins in your family when a holy man leads his family to become holy and not accept certain things in his family environment. It's not the pastor to say that's wrong. It's not the deacons that should say that's wrong. That's you as the head that say that's wrong. And most of the time, fathers cannot call out things that are wrong in their families because their families know that they have not been living right. You cannot give what you don't have. And I'm saying, when you are a father, when your children are out in the world, I like it to see, because even Brother Ram's children were once out in the world, I like to find a father who's vexed because the children are not in the faith, whose soul is vexed. And when you've got that, then there is likelihood that God can intervene. My. Judge in yourself, is it calmly that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? And if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Today, I think there is a testimony of Brother Raymond. He was based in the UK then, and he moved to Canada. He gave it to us in one convention here where his daughter was, well, had a problem where they had to operate the daughter, and they insisted that they wanted to cut her hair, and the family and the daughter refused that, no, she's a Nazarite. There's no razor blade that will come anywhere close to her head. And they had to plate her hair to create lines so that the doctors can find a way to operate, to do a head operation when she had a tumor. This is the level, this is the extent that a messaging believing family would go to make sure that this child, as she grows, she understands that she is a Nazarite. And I've begged you, mothers, with love. With humility, I'm your pastor. I love you. You know very well. If I do not love you, I've got no business preaching to you. I say it with utmost respect and utmost love. Don't put pants on your girl children. If pants, 
if dresses are not right for your boy children, don't put pants on your girl children. Let them wear dresses. Let them understand what this faith is all about. Because if we allow certain things, it is going to be difficult to tell them later on that this is not allowed. I said a Muslim child becomes a Muslim at birth, becomes a Muslim in kindergarten, becomes a Muslim in primary, becomes a Muslim in secondary, becomes a Muslim at tertiary. Why? That's how they believe it. And if that is the case, that should be the case even for message believers. Most of the time, a mother lives their life. Mothers live their lives through their girl children. If you want to see what is in the heart of the mother, watch how she molds her girl child. I've said it. He told them that her, there is no trimming. There must never be any razor blade that comes anywhere close to a sister's, a sister's head. And that's why even your girl child, this is where I'm asking mothers, if your eight-year-old child visits relatives with a long hair and you go and pick her up maybe after a weekend and you find that she, she's bald, they cut her hair off. Are you going to be happy after you labor to make sure that it's a long hair? You're going to be upset. Now, if you've got standards for the hair, why can't you have standards for everything as far as the child is concerned so that the child understands in this family, this is how we live. If you do that, God is going to do so many things that are good for you. Don't wait for your child to be a believer influence your child to be a believer right through the childhood. Second Corinthians 11, I'm going to wrap up. It says, now in, now, in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, they're not coming together for the better. But for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Even today. God will never stop heresies among us. They must be there in order to check those that are approved so that they become visible in the midst of heresies. What I'm saying, you're not going to stop heresies. They will come, they will, pre they will be here, but it, they, when a heresy comes, it's going to prove certain people their experience, their sincerity their dedication to the message. Go and check every time a heresy comes, most of the time you wonder, men that you might have known for the rest of your life when you grew up, they were elders. But when a heresy comes, how they embrace it, then you wonder what is happening. They must happen because why? We all must be proven. Heresies are there to, to prove 
to certify those that are of God. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, another one is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in, or, dis, or despise ye the church of God? Shay and shame them that have not. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. What was happening here? Lack of sincerity. They were not living right, but they were coming and partaking from the Lord's table. They were drunkards, knowingly so, and knowing each other. And they said, it's fine, it's not a big problem. They had become too liberal. They had, become, they had conformed to the culture of Corinthia. I say it was the Dubai of the time. They were not supposed to conform. They battled because sin was prevalent and immorality was prevalent and modernism was prevalent in their city. Not us as message believers. We need sincerity. We need dedication. We need, if you have done something wrong, you don't become comfortable. You repent and stand up and move forward. But they had lacked, they were lacking sincerity. There's nothing that makes the church to lack sincerity than an unaddressed sin. Let me not carry on. Maybe let me wrap up. If you carry on, they had a problem with gifts. There was a confusion. They didn't understand the operation of gifts. They didn't understand the administration of gifts. And the gifts that were meant to edify the church were creating confusion for the church. I've seen what I call she prophecies in the message where a man rises up and calls himself a prophet and begins to identify witches in the message church. This man, <laughs> you'll find that he just came to faith last month. But we pointed a sister that has been there at the beginning when the church started and this renegade, this Chemirot will call that sister a witch. I will never believe that. You know why? Because I don't believe we can preach the gospel for 30 years with the witch inside and not repent. While waiting for a man whose baptismal clothes are still wet to come and identify witches in the church. Most of the time is the mishandling of gifts and they cause divisions in the church. Brahman says in Corinthians, book of correction, it says, uh, paragraph 9, and all those sensations that those Corinthians had, not one of them was the evidence that they were saved. Not one of them was, the, was an evidence that they were saved. If you could shout, if you could prophesy, if you could heal the sick, if you could speak with tongues, if you could interpret tongues, if you had wisdom, if you had knowledge, none of those mean you are saved. Not one of them. You could have every one of them. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, and be lost. I am nothing. See? 
But I'm coming to the last one. First Corinthians 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or as a tingling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. What is the faith that can remove mountains? That pull faith. What are the mysteries? All the mysteries. But if I have all those things, but I lack love, then I'm nothing. Today we preach big things, deep things. But when you look for brotherly kindness among us, you don't find it. When you look at for perfect love among us, you don't find it. We are clannish. Why? Because many of us have been overcome by the spirit of the Corinthian church. But the prophet of God says, beyond the curtain of time, paragraph 54, I am more convinced than ever in my life that it will take perfect love to enter that place. There was no jealousy, no tiredness, no sickness, no old age, no death, only supreme beauty and joy. He says, I'm convinced and persuaded that it only take perfect love to enter that place. It was something that was lacking among the Corinthians and something that is lacking within message ranks, deep teachings deep concepts, deep revelations that are devoid of perfect love. What happened? We have allowed the spirit of the Corinthian church to creep in and is paralyzing them. It's paralyzing us. I think, let me stop here. I normally finish at eight, but I've gone way beyond you will bear with me as we pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we appreciate you for your grace and mercy. Realize it took much longer to speak things that have been spoken. But it reminds me of the prophet when he preached on the spoken word is the original seed. It became a long message until they had to take a break and come back because it was important that it had to be spoken. I remember when he preached Christ is the mystery of God, there were things that had to be spoken. It took longer. Even tonight, it took longer than anticipated. Dear God, it is for a reason, because it is a burden in my heart. I had to bring this message in the manner that I brought it, because I believe it will help your people. It will help your children. It will cause a reflection. Bless them, dear God, for their patience. I see they stuck with this right at the beginning until now. Because somewhat they know as well in their hearts that this is important. Help us, dear God, to be sincere. Help us to be dedicated. And where we fall in short of your glory, help us to repent. Let us not be like the Corinthians. We want, dear God, to be like the Ephesians. We want to have that first love and keep it pure. Be dedicated to this message and live it the way it ought to be lived. 
That's why your prophet says, he's holding us accountable that we keep this message clean. Help us to keep it clean. I pronounce blessings upon everyone that was listening. Dear God, I know it was not easy. It may be costly at times. But dear God, may you add more as I commit everything to you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you richly. I think this is the longest that I've ever taken to preach. I had to, to put it across. I could have made it a series, but somewhat I feel the inspiration wanted me to say what needed to be said in one shot. You'll bear with me for taking your time. Have a blessed week until we see you in church on Sunday, 9 o'clock. Let's be early as always we are early. 9 o'clock is when we start church order. 9.30 is when the song service starts. Church doesn't start at 9.30. It starts at 9 o'clock. Let's learn to be early, believers. And I'm glad that we are becoming early. Let's keep it that way. God bless you richly until I see you in church on Sunday. Shalom. I've seen the supernatural. I've seen God defying medical records. I'm not talking out there. I'm talking in this church. In this church, I see, I've seen God taking people that the world deems to be illiterate and God brushing them and washing them and elevating them without education. Tell me who's that? It's God. So must we keep quiet? Must we keep quiet? We're not going to keep quiet. We're going to talk about it. We're going to brag about it. You see, this year God will bypass the protocol. I said, they said, God will bypass the protocol. God bless you. Are you hearing me? God will overlook man-made systems, man-made regulations, man-made procedures, and will say, that's my son. That's my daughter. It's time for elevation. Oh, thank be to God of what he's about to do. Thank you for God, for what is about to display. Thank you for the healing that we are about to see.